Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the trenches. Today, I'm joined by Rafael Wilinski from Steady. Hey, man, welcome to the show. Hi. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. So for audience who haven't heard about Steady, I actually spoke with their CEO and founder, Zach Cantor, a while back on the episode 24. Uh, and he has some really great stories to tell about uh, how he came from the manufacturing industry and how he's seen some of the same uh, inefficiencies in tech that the serverless technology solve and how there's a lot of parallels between the evolution of the manufacturing industry and the technology evolution has happened with AWS and serverless technologies. Uh, but today I want to talk to Rafael about uh, his uh, project that he's been working on for a little while now called the Dynobase, which I've been actually a customer for some time now as well, and I've really enjoyed using. Before we get into that, hey Rafael, can you tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what you've been working on these days? Yeah, sure. So hi everyone, I'm Rafal, I'm 25 from Poland. I work as a serverless engineer at Steady, a company that is 100% serverless, TypeScript powered using CDK. Uh, so we are locked in into AWS, but it's a good story. Apart from that, I'm, I'm also running this side hustle uh, called Dynobase, which aims to be a modern and professional client for DynamoDB. So uh, let's talk about uh, Dynobase then. Uh, I've been using it for a little while and I've really enjoyed it. And I think uh, many of the listeners uh, is going to find it very useful as well. Uh, can you tell us what it does and uh, maybe the story behind it? Yeah, sure. Um, so Dynobase is basically a result of the scratch your own itch model or problem. Um, basically, I was dissatisfied with the current experience of DynamoDB console because uh, I think we all know that AWS priority is not always the best UI or UX. So when I was visiting the console on a daily basis, repeatedly um, issuing the same queries and scans, and I was basically frustrated with the experience and decided to do something with it. Um, it all started as a hobby project, uh, but turned out to be real thing that now, now starts money and uh, makes money. And, uh, it all started probably in a June or July 2019 when I became a lead for a project, which was basically an API based on GraphQL and DynamoDB and single table design. So uh, we decided to bet on those technologies, go fully serverless. And uh, we've considered a few options, for instance, uh, also AppSync that you are teaching, but back then AppSync was leaking some features for us. Uh, for instance, the single table design with AppSync and Amplify isn't so straightforward even now, right? Uh, back then also authorization wasn't that easy, uh, especially with custom authorizers. There was also lack of proper support for multi-tenancy. So we decided to roll out our own GraphQL server on the Lambda, which is dealing with DynamoDB uh, kind of directly. And we, of course, designed our tables very carefully because that's what single table design uh, requires from you. We started with the development and at the very beginning of the development, we started making many of those silly data mistakes. Like for instance, you've mistyped the attribute name, you've used PK capitalized instead of lowercase or things like that. So we ended up visiting the DynamoDB console very frequently. And 
it was really painful process, especially when you are changing the regions, changing the profiles. Uh, you cannot bookmark a query. You don't see the history of executed queries. Um, so yeah, as I mentioned before, uh, I decided that, hey, we can do better than that. And I've asked a few of my friends that were also working with DynamoDB if they are sharing the same pains as I am. You know, uh, do they also lack the ability to have, for instance, two regions open simultaneously or two accounts simultaneously? And all of them said, yeah, that's, 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 that's exactly it. Like DynamoDB is a great database, infinitely scalable, um, easy to use from the, once you know the API and once you know the query language and once you know the limitations, but visually it's not that good. Um, so I started this as a project that was meant to be an open source project, uh, because I had some experience with that. I was contributing to the serverless framework, for instance. I did some small contributions to the CK. I had um, many, many other serverless focused projects on GitHub. Um, and that's what I wanted to do with Dynabase. But re I realized that, hey, if I'm going to execute this properly, this is probably going to consume hundreds or thousands of hours. And that's actually what happened. And I thought that, hey, I've already did so much for the open source space. And uh, for in, in return, I almost got nothing. So maybe it's a good opportunity to try productizing this vision, trying to productize this piece of software. Um, and it gave me actually even more motivation to launch something that may make money while I sleep. Um, so yeah, I've started doing that. And I'm pretty sure you know this kind of feeling of being excited when you start a new project, when you have those vivid visions, how it can turn out, how awesome it can be. So uh, I was really motivated. I was working something like 16, 17, 18 hours a day uh, after my day job just to deliver this thing as fast as possible. And after two months fighting with Electron, with React, with Dynabase, with many, uh, with DynamoDB, with many data shapes, with many table scenarios and all sorts of that stuff, um, I was already super frustrated at that point, but I decided to release the first alpha version of the Dynabase around, um, around September, I guess. And uh, because I was kind of frustrated, I was, my motivation kind of went super low at this point. Um, the first initial release wasn't super good, but I was kind of free because it's, it's delivered, right? So I can now focus, finally rest or focus on other things. Um, and as you can imagine, the first release of the Dynobase wasn't a big success. It wasn't even good, but it was a huge milestone because um, it, it attracted some, some people. It gained some traction. It made probably like, I don't know, $50 uh, during the first three or four months. But um, I had an opportunity to connect to many people that provided a new, uh, very, very important feedback. And uh, among those people that became the early adopters, there was also uh, a person called Pravin, who later became actually a co-founder of the Dynabase. Um, basically, you know, uh, he approached me saying like, hey, this is something that 
possibly can be really good project, but it's leaking this, uh, it's missing this, it's missing that. Uh, the productization is not so good. You have zero marketing. You don't have how to how to do advertising and all sorts of that stuff. So I decided like, hey, I don't have nothing to lose. So maybe I can just partner up with this random guy that I've just met on the internet and maybe we can kickstart this project together. And that's what we did. We signed an agreement that was shorter than one page. But basically, you know, uh, we are doing everything in the best interest and started working together. Um, so for the next three or four months, we spent um, redesigning the product. Project We cut the scope. We focused on the very important core features that are essential for the product, but we solidified them and make sure that they are better polished. And around January or February 2012 to, to uh, 2020, um, we released the beta version, completely redesigned, a little bit smaller, but better. And uh, I was amazed because it was very, very well received. And it started making money, which was kind of crazy to me that, you know, you can start some kind of project that is based on open source tools that you can find on the internet. You can just have a little bit of vision, a little bit of luck, find your niche, uh, publish it. Um, and yeah, there is also some work with payments, licensing, and all sorts of that stuff. But uh, yeah, it, it worked. Uh, and, and Dynabase right now is giving you all those features that, in our opinion, uh, DynamoDB console is lacking. Like, for instance, code generation, uh, like, for instance, history, bookmarking, import and export capabilities from CSV or, uh, or from JSON. We also recently added support for PartyQL, which allows you to query DynamoDB in this uh, very SQL-like syntax language. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. There's a lot of different things to unpack there. Uh, I guess the, one of them was, uh, you mentioned at the start of that, that conversation there was uh, about AppSync and the single table design yeah. and how it's kind of difficult, uh, still is. In fact, the most of the people that I find, uh, who are struggling with AppSync, and uh, the root cause often goes down to whether or not they're using single table design because uh, when you've got uh, multiple tables or at least you you use, um, uh, a, I guess, a consolidated table, so let's, let's call it that, um, sparingly and the way it makes sense, I think most people have no problems uh, working with AppSync and DynamDB. Uh, is where you have a you know you're squeezing everything to one single table that's where a lot of the complexity comes because you have to write more and more custom vtl code and that's where people tend to struggle with um, that being said uh, aws has released the rfc for an i guess the vtl v2 which is really just javascript uh, as, a, as a templating language for AppSync. so hopefully that will alleviate a lot of the problems people have uh, using AppSync with a single table design which is not really to do with AppSync itself, but it's just a scripting language, uh, VTL. So hopefully uh, that would make things more accessible. That being said, there's still a lot of reason not to sort of you know, go down the route of single table designs, uh, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, and uh, for anyone who want to learn about AppSync uh, and how to build applications using AppSync and uh, Lambda and DynamDB, check out AppSyncMasterclass.com where I've got a video course that teaches you how to basically use those technologies uh, by building a Twitter clone from scratch. 
Uh, another thing you mentioned is that uh, the continuous struggle you have with uh, Electron. So I guess that brings the question of, uh, well, why build it as a desktop app when most things are built as a web app nowadays? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think that the most important reason is the technical one, that you need to interact with uh, DynamoDB. And we decided to do that from the node process that is basically running on your machine. Uh, so that part is doing the heavy lifting. And the Electron, which is basically just a web view, is displaying the data that is getting it from this heavy lifting process back to the visual process. Um, so yeah, there, 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 there will be probably some security problems if we went with the uh, web page. For instance, what about uh, AWS credentials? How you can be sure that we are not sending them to some kind of malicious server uh, or we are not doing some kind of bad things. Uh, if application is running in, on your com more on, on your computer, I think it's uh, more secure or, or it gives you a notion of security. And this is essential when you're dealing with dealing with data, especially when you're doing, dealing with production data. Um, another reason is that um, I kept just closing the DynamoDB uh, console AWS tab because it's just like a web tab in my Chrome or, or Safari. And I wanted to have something that is more persistent, right? That, I, that it always sits uh, as an application in my tray bar. Uh, for instance, I feel like this is the same reason why you are running a Slack application instead of visiting Slack in browser, right? Because it's more more permanent, more 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 solidified, and uh, Electron also gives you a little bit more flexibility around, for instance, key shortcuts or opening multiple uh, browser uh, windows, and yeah, that's it. Yeah, gotcha. Um, the security concerns definitely are probably number one uh, on my mind that if I'm using a third-party service and I have to somehow trust them with my AWS credentials, then the, that requires a lot more convincing. And not to, not to mention that if data have to traverse through your backend uh, somehow, that means uh, there's also concerns around uh, you know various different uh, regulatory requirements around the data security, locality, like data can't traverse outside of certain countries and uh, and so on, which you can completely sidestep by making this a uh, local application that runs on your machine instead. Um, and if I remember correctly, you released the DinoBase around the same time, or at least not long after AWS released the NoSQL workbench for DynamoDB. So what's the difference yes. between the two and uh, when should you use uh, which one? Yeah, so a little bit of backstory. When I was about to release uh, a DynoBase, uh, probably like a week before, I realized that AWS just released NoSQL workbench. And I was kind of devastated because, you know, I've just spent two or three months working super hard on this vision that I had in my head. And now suddenly this big corporation is coming to kill my dreams, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the day they released it, uh, it wasn't a super happy day. But the day after that, I decided like, hey, maybe do some a little bit of espionage. Let's see what they actually came up with. So I downloaded it and I realized that the way... NoSQL Workbench approaches DynamoDB and the way I approach DynamoDB is, is radically different. Um, NoSQL Workbench, is, uh, in, in some way, it is a competition to DynaBase, but I feel like they are complementary tools. Where I feel like 
that uh, NoSQL Workbench shines is when you're planning to start uh, DynamoDB and especially when you're willing to um, use single table, table design. Um, NoSQL Workbench has really good support uh, for that. It allows you to model your data before you're actually starting to develop your application and it gives you this flexibility to design how things are going to be structured out. NoSQL Workbench also has this very cool operation builder, which allows you to construct uh, complex queries, which allows you to basically generate code that is going to modify your DynamoDB uh, data. And up to some point, NoSQL Workbench was not working super well with offline distributions of DynamoDB. Um, to me, trying to mirror the AWS um, you know, structure and cloud locally is kind of anti-pattern, but I still get it that many people would like to have uh, something like a copy of DynamoDB locally. So NoSQL Workbench was also lacking that support for a long time. Um, when it comes to Dynabase, I feel like Dynabase is much better uh, when you are actually during the development or if you're in a production phase. So if you'd like to find some kind of item that you don't know what's the key for that item, uh, or maybe you'd like to edit a few items, I feel like exploring your data set and manipulating your items is much, much, much better uh, using Dynabase instead of NoSQL Workbench. Uh, also, we are exposing some more functionality around bookmarking history, imports and exports. Uh, so yeah, to sum it up, I feel NoSQL Workbench is super good for planning and Dynabase is much better when it comes to development and tweaking some values and exporting your data and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, totally agree that the, the two are more complementary of each other than uh, than anything else. The NoSQL Workbench is really good for modeling data, uh, but for a lot of the day-to-day -day interactions you have with DynamDB, I think Dynabase is, uh, is where the action is at and uh, does it give you a much more uh, polished experience compared to what you will get by using the AWS uh, console. Even though they keep trying to revamp the console, it's still just uh, like just a lot of basic things it doesn't do quite easily. And uh, the fact that uh, you know many of you have got different tables and different accounts and regions, uh, having to jump across multiple those uh, multiple accounts and regions to look at things, uh, that's always been a big hustle for me because uh, I work with so many different uh, customers and so many different AWS accounts and regions. Um, so when we chatted before, you said that uh, one of the goals you had for Dynabase is to lower the entry level for DynamoDB newbies by yeah. abstracting away some of the, I guess, complexities with uh, AWS and DynamoDB in particular. Can you elaborate on how you plan to do that? Yeah, sure. Um, so imagine you're a developer that spent his whole life dealing with SQL databases and you've just You've just been thrown into this new project, new team, which is using Dynamo, uh, Dyno, DynamoDB and in a NoSQL world. And you don't know what the heck is uh, partition key, sort key, GSI. Um, so you don't, know, you don't know nothing about those things. And for instance, you have to find some kind of record and uh, you don't know the difference between a scan and query. So for instance, Dynabase uh, abstracts away the concept of scan and query, and it automatically adjusts uh, 
if it should do scan on query, depending on what kind of attributes you're looking for. So uh, if I'm, for instance, using for a member using email, and I don't know whether that's an indexed field or not, I just type email equals some kind of value, and then Dynabase figures out if that, attribute, if that attribute is indexed, and if it is, it knows that it can use query instead of scan. If not, it is using scan, and uh, after you, you've got the result, you can go to the code gen tab, and you can get the code that was used to generate that exact query. So when you are developing a feature, uh, when you found some data and you'd like to have the same kind of operation in your application, you can basically grab the code that Dynobase used to fetch those values, paste that in, in Python, JavaScript, or TypeScript straight to your application, and you're good to go. Um, another thing is that when you're dealing with some really big tables, especially single table designs, they tend to have multiple attributes, like really sometimes even hundreds, because there are multiple entity types in one well, not one table. Uh, so when you are typing, uh, when you are searching for something, you can type uh, just a prefix of attribute name, and Dynabase will suggest that, for instance, if you typed E, then it's going to suggest that, hey, this table has attribute like email or, I don't know, maybe address, maybe title. So it also suggests you what kind of attributes you can look for in this table. So you don't have to know the context uh, of the table that you're dealing with, or maybe it's going to prevent you from silly mistakes like in capitalization, or maybe you're going to use double uh, underscore instead of dash or, and, and sorts of that things. Um, Apart from that, uh, there is also a little bit easier navigation. So for instance, when you just um, looked for some kind of collection, then you can just right click on the row that interests you and then narrow down the, or narrow down the filter results by saying, hey, filter this uh, with attribute that equals to some kind of value that interests you. So this way you can narrow down your um, results by, by by navigating through the data set yeah and i think that's that's that, that that's the most uh, important example okay so the autocomplete feature sounds like a pretty great idea but i'm dubious about the auto switching between uh, queries and scans because the performance and cost implications there are huge uh, and yes. uh, that's one of the things that Particle also offers, that it will automatically switch between scans and uh, queries based on the attributes that you're selecting, which I think is actually incredibly dangerous because it gives the illusion of simplicity, but at the same time potentially traps you into a much more dangerous world whereby your cost and performance is highly unpredictable and probably significantly higher compared to if you had spent some time to actually learn the difference between queries and scans because you know as people that use DynamoDB day to day we, we have a saying that you no know, friends don't let friends use the scans uh, yeah. because it just you know it's just it's just terrible for performance and for cost um so i guess on that uh, uh what's your feeling uh, in that case that uh, i mean you are well, on the one hand you are making it simpler for people to use DynamoDB, but on the other hand is uh, for me it's akin to handing them a loaded gun that they can really easily point it at the foot and they just blow the foot off is that something that you think people should be 
Now, investing more time or actually learning DynamoDB, maybe reading uh, Alex the uh, Breeze book, or is that just a case that, well, we have to deal with it and we have to meet customer where it is, even though by doing so, is there's a very good likelihood that they can hurt themselves? Um, yeah, I agree with you that there is some kind of danger. And we decided to um, try to educate users a little bit. So, for instance, if you have an email attribute that is indexed, and when you are going to type the email, uh, we are going to display a small label underneath the, 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 the form saying that, hey, this field is indexed, so we are going to issue a query instead of scan. And we kind of believe that maybe users then will become a little bit interested. Hey, what's the difference between query and scan? And maybe when they are going to issue a scan, they will notice that this is you know, happening really, really slow. Um, apart from that, we are also trying to educate people by publishing articles about, you know, what is DynamoDB, what is query, what is scan, why you shouldn't be using scan. Uh, so on our page, we are, you know, we've committed hundreds of hours trying to explain some of those contracts, uh, constructs. Um, of course, you can also buy Alex's book, and I think it's, 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 it's a super good resource for that. But, you know, a tool is a tool. It can be used in a good and a bad way, and we cannot take 100% responsibility for what you're going to do with it. We are going to be as explicit as possible with our actions. For instance, when we are doing a scan, there's a big prominent button that says scan instead of query. And uh, I think this is still a little bit more explicit than in PartiQL, where you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't have a feedback what happens underneath the layer. Because when you just issue a particular query, you don't know, um, if you don't know the, the type table structure, if it's going to be converted to scanner query. You can protect yourself a little bit by restricting the IIM permissions to, for instance, forbid scan at all. Uh, but it's still, it's kind of sophisticated technique, and I feel like not many people are using it. And sometimes scans are still useful. Uh, scans are definitely useful in some cases, uh, but they are useful and they should be used in very specific cases where you do need yes. to scan a table, not for your everyday, every transaction. We want to get the you know, data from a table based on some attributes. And then the fact that we don't know that we need to index it means that it's, that's a full scan on every single user request. That would be a terrible thing to happen. Um, yeah. And uh, I think uh, what you mentioned there in terms of uh, having some visual feedback, that's great. Uh, maybe, I mean, personally, I would be more interested to, interested to see like a red warning uh, when is, <laughs> when you work out that this is going to be a scan. And then at that point, mm -hmm. uh, that would be, I guess for me, it would be more of a signal that, okay, I need to understand what is a scan and why is this tool telling me that uh, scan is probably not a good thing to do. Because um, doing it in the doing it inside the database uh, tool itself is not a big deal. But then if I was to take what I'm doing, so the code that you generate and then put it into my application code, that's going to run every time someone hits my application, that is going to be where the problem is because that's where you're going to get out of hand really quickly if you've got an application that gets hit, I don't know, 100 requests per second. Every single one of them becomes a scan, then, well, that's going to be a problem for your application in terms of performance and cost. So I guess it's less of a problem, I guess, for uh, for Dynobase because I'm using it to look at data myself, to understand it, to play around with it. But it's more that you know, what happens if I translate the same practice into my application, 
that's going to be handling actual real user requests at volume, not just a single person looking at the, the data trying to understand it. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess that's, that's where I, I guess my particular concern with particle is because it is something that people are going to try to use at least uh, in the application. And um, I'm, I guess I'm waiting to, to, to hear more uh, anecdotal evidence to see whether or not that's something that people actually run into because they accidentally turn a query into a scan because they had they didn't realize they were missing the, the indices in place and things like that. Another thing that I, was, I guess I want to uh, mention is uh, is that uh, you, I saw a post that you, that you wrote on Twitter recently that you have, uh, for the first time ever, hit $10,000 of monthly revenue a year after releasing Dynobase. That is a, that's a, that's a pretty good achievement within such a short time. Uh, and it's uh, probably more than a lot of people make in a full-time job in a month. So not bad for a side hustle. How did you do it? Are there any sort of tips and tricks that you can share with anyone who uh, has uh, uh, similar aspirations to you know, beat AWS at the UX game? Yeah, um, I have lots of ideas in mind. And uh, I feel like the most important part is to not go all in on your first idea. I always have this backlog of ideas that I'm trying to jot down in my notepad. And then I'm doing, during the showers, I'm having this, you know, imaginary conversations with myself, uh, whether I should do it or not. And uh, before committing into something, you should really validate whether it's going to be needed. For instance, in Dynabase uh, case, I've asked few engineers that work with AWS and they were, you know, they were, they were super excited and they said, yes, this is exactly what we are looking for. So I had this validation that gave me this initial motivation. Um, apart from that, uh, I think you shouldn't be putting all your eggs into, into one basket. I think you shouldn't be quitting your day job when you are trying to build on, on top of some really vague idea that may end up, you know, not so good. So I'm really big fan of Daniel's Vassalo idea of portfolio of small bets, right? You can uh, start this side hustle. You can still be working full-time or part-time. Maybe you can start doing some video courses or, or, or writing a book, which is kind of popular now. So this way you can diversify uh, your, your strategy and become more anti-fragile. Um, when it comes to actual product, I think the most important part uh, is to make something that people actually want, you know, apart from yourself. Uh, basically, there needs to be a market for that. You need to kind of find your niche. Uh, in the Dynabase case, we realize that there is a big gap between the technology and the accessibility to that technology. So we decided that with this improved UX and UI, we are going to close this gap. And that's what happened. Um, when it comes to actually promoting your, your, your business and making sure that it's well marketed, I think the very good strategy that is being promoted lately is to learn in public and build in public because it basically encourages other people to start their own journeys. It's like free way to market things, especially in the era of Twitter when you have this kind of infinite leverage. You basically can show your work in progress. You can show your ideas. You can share some thoughts. And this is this is this is free marketing. And I feel like, for instance, you or or Alex Debris or other uh, people that are quite famous in an AWS space understand this perfectly. That Twitter is super powerful tool in that regard. And 
it can help you create this initial pool of super engaged people that are interested in your job and they are going they are likely to convert into paying customers and maybe they will even become your ambassadors for your product so that's super good you cannot also forget about seo uh, i don't like this part because you know when it comes to uh, building seo you need to write a lot of articles so for instance you need to explain like what is query what is scan but you also have to for instance create an article about how to run an offline distribution of DynamoDB. There are probably hundreds of articles like that. There, you know, it, it was already well explained, but you have to do that in order to be ranked by the search engines. It's kind of a dirty game, but it is what it is. No one said that starting your own business is only, uh, only a pleasure and only building product. There is a lot of value extraction than just value creation. I think it's also super important to just, you know, build a good product, build something that you would like to use, build something that you would give to, for instance, your friend and uh, that it will be useful to them. It's kind of a silly idea, but some people, I feel like they are neglecting that and someone, they are sometimes um, putting too much focus on the marketing or just trying to um, this trying to hustle, trying to pretend how busy they are instead of just, in fact, shipping the features, which is, you know, actually the, the, the core essence of the product. And also, if you're starting a small job, a small, small project, small startup, you can be honest. You can tell that, you know, hey, it's just me. It's you, you don't have to disguise yourself under the name of big corporation or this is like, uh, some kind of company. You can be very personal with people. You can engage in personal relations. You can joke. There's uh, a whole new level of things, how you can market yourself and how you can market the product and uh, promote that. Lastly, uh, I think it's also important to, to, to charge more because at the very beginning, Dynobase was a free tool that had a premium version, which had some extra features. And basically, no one pay for that. Once we just disabled the free tier, we made uh, Dynabase paid only, and we raised our pricing by 300%, we started earning much, much, much more. And uh, the reasoning behind that, if you are going to create a tool that is going to save you, for instance, just five minutes per day, if you're going to multiply that by the work days in a year, that is going to pay off massive dividends in time savings. So especially when you're dealing with IT professionals or, or other um, domains that are well-paid, you can really charge people more. Again, so many small, uh, but uh, really good stuff to, to talk about because uh, you mentioned uh, uh, Daniel Vasalo's uh, small bets strategy, uh, something that uh, I've actually accidentally also end up doing uh, even though I didn't realize that's what I was doing but then when when I read about stuff that he was uh, posting uh, it made perfect sense because uh, that's basically how I've been so structuring my business my consulting business across workshops across uh, consulting advisory work as well as the video course as, as well as uh, actually doing hands-on development work uh, with clients and also doing some contract work with Lumigo as a developer advocate and for now, it's been almost a perfect split in terms of revenue across all five of them. And uh, yeah, it's uh, not only the risk, but also massively increased my revenue stream. 
you know, a, make a nice mix of uh, passive as well as uh, active incomes uh, from all the different activities. And definitely uh, in terms of like a, being independent, that is a much better uh, and safer way to succeed and to reach your financial independence compared to if you just put all of your eggs into one basket and hopefully that one idea flies off the, the shelf, which uh, oftentimes uh, it probably won't be the runaway success that you hope for. <laughs> I guess the, that's the truth to startups uh, that there's a very small chance of, of succeeding, at least uh, succeed uh, wildly. Um, you also talked about uh, the whole idea of charging more, and that's something that the Corey Queen and many of the consulting books uh, I've read all say the same thing as well. And you, obviously, you can apply that to uh, products as well as uh, to uh, your, your services. And that's something I've been sort of gradually you know, working into my practice as well in terms of uh, high negotiate price and understanding the value I provide uh, versus the you know, actually the cost saving that's going to bring to the customers. Um, mm -hmm. So all some all very good stuff. Oh yeah, now the whole learning public thing. Uh, Sean and the many others uh, uh, has been very vocal advocate. I think Nada is also in the one that also often talk about learning in public and uh, also building in public as well. Uh, like I said, yeah, that's something that uh, I've also been doing for a long time as well, uh, and it has uh, definitely helped a lot in terms of uh, creating. Uh, for now at least a uh, pretty successful uh, new video course uh, in terms of uh, adoption as well in terms of uh, revenue stream with uh, the AppSync Masterclass. Um, so I wanted to circle back to the whole sort of UX thing uh, because that's where essentially I think you can a lot of people can still make a living in fact there's a massive market for SaaS providers that essentially compete against Amazon on UX or, D, uh, or DX developer experience. Um, so what's, I guess, your strategy for staying at least one step ahead of AWS? Because they are trying to catch up constantly, even though you know, it's questionable how good a job they are doing. Uh, <laughs> so do you have some specific strategy in mind in terms of how you want to stay one step ahead of AWS? I think it's uh, kind of hard to stay ahead of AWS because basically they create DynamoDB, right? They have the internal roadmap. They know majority of the use cases. They are probably the biggest client of DynamoDB because Amazon.com is running on DynamoDB. So it's hard to predict the next steps. But because uh, we are just uh, two engineers working on one product, we can be much more agile. We can be faster. We can react to things super quickly instead of Amazon, which is like this big corporation with uh, six, nine or 12 plans with leadership meetings, with massive plans. Uh, they cannot do that. You know, every step must be calculated, must be planned. There is a big overhead when it comes to implementing even the smallest features. While we can do it in a day, for instance, um, that was a case where AWS announced the support for PartyQL, or actually they haven't announced it, but it was leaked in uh, um, changelog notes for, for CloudFormation or maybe for SDK. So when I saw that, that the newest AWS SDK is using PartyQL, I've actually managed to implement it before the public release uh, was announced. So this is kind of the benefit that you can you can use when fighting against the Goliath. I would say you can be this this, this small warrior uh, that can do that, that can make some dirty tricks in order to outsmart or or, or be just faster. Uh, apart from that, 
you can be also the thing that I've mentioned before. You can be more direct. You can have more personal relations with people, with developers. Uh, and yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think that, uh, that I love your point about the agility uh, because as much as people talk about how fast AWS move, uh, they move fast in the context of being this 5,000 pounds gorilla or like you said, the Goliath, <laughs> that, that they are really fast for a really large company, but there's nothing compared to how fast you can move as a much smaller operator. In this case, uh, like you know, as, as two engineers working on this tool yourselves, you can move a uh, hundred times faster than AWS. They will take however many meetings to decide how to do something when you could have just done it and then you know, shipped it to your customers. And of course, like I said, it can be much more personal in terms of how you interact with your customers as well. And I guess that kind of brings me to uh, to where I hear a lot of customers talk, you know, a lot of people talk about uh, vendor locking and how the only way to compete with AWS is not use AWS and things like that. We should just see it because uh, you know, the way to compete with AWS is use the best tools that you can get. And sometimes that is using AWS uh, and uh, you compete by being faster and more agile than they are. And that's and you can do that much. You can do that very easily if you don't have you know ten thousand people that you have to go through to get approval on something. I mean, trying to get yeah. AWS people to to come and talk about uh, what they're doing and stuff like that. It requires uh, so much, so many levels of approval for something to happen. And similar to the product side of things as well, there's a lot of meetings, a lot of uh, time has to go past uh, before they can decide to to act on something. And yeah, and you can be much more agile, and that's your best weapon against the. Uh, massive gorilla like Amazon. So, for, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I guess with that, uh, what's next for Dynabase? Uh, are you working on any exciting new features at the moment? Um, so Dynabase is pretty much already quite established. I mean, I, if you look at it, there are not so many obvious features that are lacking. We can always improve the UX a bit, UI. We can always fix some bugs. Um, we are working for code gen support for more languages. So right now, when you um, when you issue a query or a scan, I've mentioned before that we are generating a code in JavaScript or TypeScript that you can copy and paste into your application and it works. Um, so we would like to add support for more languages. For instance, I've seen that PHP is being used with serverless more and more. Uh, there is also Go, which pretends to be the language of the cloud, Rust is getting traction. So these are the, all the languages that we may also auto-generate the code for the user uh, to make working with DynamoDB a little bit uh, easier. And circling back to the single table design, I feel like um, there's a still big gap uh, between the performance and the benefits of the single table design and how it is being used or structured. And what I mean by that is that when you are using single table design, you probably have the partition key named as PK, uh, sort key names as SK. Then you have many, many uh, keys like GSI, one PK, and it all sounds super cryptic. It's not, uh, it's not intuitive. It's not easy to use. It all kind of reminds me like using an assembly language where you have to target an exact register in memory by its identifier. Um, to me, it seems like there is some kind of abstraction missing between the application layer and database layer. And also this whole idea of putting every all entities into one table, 
I get it, it works. It works very well. But at least intuitively for me, even after two years of using that technique, it kind of feels wrong, you know? So I feel like there is something that needs to be put in between those two words. And we are trying as Dynobase to invent some kind of pattern, uh, maybe maybe facets, maybe something like virtual tables, which is going to present that information in a more digestible format so it can be better understood by the developers, especially those that are just onboarding to DynamoDB. Yeah, I have so much uh, gripe about uh, um, single table designs in, uh, in DynamoDB. And uh, when you talk to people like Alex and, uh, and even Rick Houlihan as well, um, they're all very clear about, oh, you know, when you should be using uh, single table designs, but often that specific nuance is missing in a lot of the talks. It is at the reInvent where oftentimes I hear you know, uh, people come to me and say, yeah, but then that's what AWS tells us to do. That's the, that's the best practice, right? Uh, you use the single table designs. Um, completely oblivious to the context in which single table designs uh, would work and, and the benefits that it brings, which uh, for most people, uh, you're just not operating at large enough scale for any of that benefit to actually mean anything to you uh, in terms of performance, in terms of, of the actual cost optimization and cost savings. But you are going to feel the complexity, the pain every day. Uh, so it's, it's, there's no return on investment for most companies unless you're operating at a really large traffic uh, website or application. But yeah, that's uh, probably something that uh, I've <laughs> I've ranted about uh, too many times uh, on very different platforms. Uh, uh, I'd love to probably grab Alex one day and just uh, have a have a uh, one-to-one with him on, on this podcast maybe. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you so much, Rafael. I look forward to uh, the idea of uh, virtual tables and see how you guys uh, pull that off because that's a really interesting idea. And hopefully that would, um, well, I guess I have to wait until I see the, uh, the, the execution uh, uh, to see how well that helps uh, in terms of uh, simplifying the complexity overhead of uh, using single table designs. Yeah, I'll make sure that you'll be one of the first engineers to get the um, alpha preview for that feature. Thank you. And uh, yeah, so again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. And uh, yeah, best of luck with Donabase and uh, Steady and uh, say hi to everyone at Steady for me. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. So that's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes, please go to realworldserverless.com. If you want to learn how to build production-ready serverless applications, please check out my upcoming courses at productionreadyserverless.com. And I'll see you guys next time.